Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. My co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. Today on the show, we're talking about two BBC sitcoms, Outnumbered and Pulling. One shot in South London, the other set in South London, and a bit shot there. We'll get on to that shortly. We've talked about a variety of subjects over our 150 plus episodes. Started off with an episode about sitcoms, so if you go to episode one, you can hear us talking about Desmond's and uh, Only Fools and Horses, and then we talk about... 15 stories high. But worth having a look at the episode, if I just scroll through. Yeah, Peep Show at yep. one point. Lucky fella. SouthlandHardcore.com, click the episode link there, or go to iTunes where you can listen to the 100 most recent episodes. All free, of course. Help us fund the show by using the Amazon link on SouthlandHardcore.com to sign up for a free trial of Amazon Prime or to make any Amazon purchases, including pulling, if you're, uh, <laughs> if we talk it up. Is Outnumbered not available on DVD? Uh, Outnumbered is on Netflix. Okay. I watched it. You can buy on DVD, yeah, if you want to buy the DVD. Get to southlandhardcore.com, click the Amazon link. Follow us on Twitter, at SLHC. What's a hypocrite? Well, uh, a hypocrite, if, for example, I'd said you mustn't eat all the cake, and then I ate all the cake myself, then I'd be a hypocrite. What's a twat? Twat. Not a very nice word for children to use, really. Where did you hear that? You've been watching Trisha or something? No, last night when you were arguing with Mum. Yeah, well, Mummies and Daddies do argue sometimes, don't they? You shout sometimes, don't you? Did you, uh, did you hear any other words? There were some other words that I heard, but I just can't remember them. Good. Something about midlife. Something about pellet. And there's pillock and another word. I think it's punk. And there was one, and it was tight bum. Right, well, probably best not to use those too often. Outnumbered, the BBC One sitcom, started in 2007, ran for five seasons. A very popular show. It's a very standard setup, isn't it? Well, yes, and family no. sitcom. No, do you reckon? Oh, oh, my thing was like, oh, it's a family sitcom. The parents are harassed. The kids are a bit, you know. Yeah, right. So in that case, yes, it is. Mm. And all many of the stories, the lines they go down, are yeah. classic sitcom things. But there is something that kind of sets it apart. I think. Yeah. Oh, certainly, they were, that's what they would have been aiming for. Is the kind of children say the funniest things angle. But done particularly well. I mean, I had never really watched Outnumbered before this. I might have seen an episode before, but it didn't really strike me as something good. But I did enjoy it. I didn't watch all of them. Yeah, we're constrained by time, of course. So rather than watching all 34 episodes, we watched the first and last episodes of each season. Yeah, we staggered it to sort of follow the development of the kids and just get an idea of uh, the show uh, as a whole across its life. But the thing is, like, as I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to, but I'm not going to go back and revisit it. One of those ones. No, you're not going to watch episodes two to five of each season. <laughs> so this is a very popular show. Six million viewers it was getting when it was on uh, BBC One. And even though it's not particularly long ago, the landscape has changed. So if it was on now, maybe we wouldn't be pulling in those numbers. But 
So it's about a middle class family, Steve, isn't it? Very much. Truly so. middle class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think... He's a teacher. I mean, it is, that's as uh, straight down the middle, middle class as you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like everyone on TV is middle, middle class just because you need to film in big houses. You know, you can't... <laughs> have you ever seen that? Of course, you have nil by mouth. Right, right, literally shooting in. I don't know if it might be the Aylesbury or the one in. Uh, no, it might be the Ferrier in um, Kidbrook. But like, literally, cameras are in council flats, yeah. and the widest angle you can get is like a medium close up of someone. Yeah. So the, the re- you know people have huge houses in uh, in sitcoms, but these people are like genuinely middle class, aren't they? It's also going on posh. I mean, I don't know how true it is of uh, English sitcom writers, but I was listening to another podcast recently, and they were talking about. Um, they did a segment on the treatment of college as an institution in America on TV and in films and how it's portrayed and the idea of it and how it's it's so central to so many shows and films. It's such a, a big part of pop culture in, in, in the States. But the majority of people don't go to college in America. But the people that do go to college tend to be the ones who end up writing sitcoms. So suddenly right. this thing gets a, a larger cultural life than it deserves because it's about the kind of people who are writing the shows. And I think it's a similar thing with, you know, I don't know the people who, who write Outnumbered. But... Don't you? Andy Hamilton. <laughs> no, but I don't, I don't know. Oh, right, right. I don't, I, I'm sure he's got a big house. <laughs> I was going to say, you've not done any research. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's five foot three, so wherever big his house is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is, uh, going into this, I'd sort of read about it and, and knew that he was involved, and that gave me a bit of hope, because he was, probably before this, probably best known for this now, but before this, best known for Drop of Dead Donkey, which was a sitcom uh, that I really enjoyed. I don't feel like I'm watching that, it's got a laugh track. And as we all know, like in the 21st century, it's, it's not acceptable. Though. I mean, Partridge is still good, but... Yeah, but that's got a magical thing. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was an abominable thing that we, we don't know how that lasted for so long. <laughs> but yeah, I think his involvement sort of gave me hope and it, it panned out in, uh, as I say, for me, it's a very standard setup, but the execution of it um, isn't revolutionary, but it's very smart. They're very good at how they get performances out of the kids, I think. You're looking yeah, what age, what age did the kids start at? Um, the youngest is six, is she? She looks? Yeah, I guess. Well, five, like six, six, eight, ten when they yeah. start? No, no. no he's, 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 he's started secondary school first yeah, day. So, so he'd be 11. 11. So probably 11, 9, 7. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, so those first couple of seasons, because I saw some of it, maybe not at the time, but certainly Lakeisha, my wife, has uh, had it on. She likes it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, kids say the funniest things. So you're basically watching primary school kids doing improv, you know. But I think but I think technically, uh, I know what you mean. And it well, is, no, it may be not quite improv. No, uh, but there is an improv element to it. But I think technically the way they do it, does make it more effective I've seen it in any other situation where rather than it's like a two shot of the adult and the child you're relying on the child delivering the line and getting the, the, the beat of the, 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 the whole skit and, and hitting a mark they, what they do as far as I understand is they feed the kids a line or idea for a line they let them sort of play around with it a bit but what they've, they've and you're watching a few of them and looking out for it they clearly just do one shots of the kids and just let them do it as many times just to get the one line that they need. They just drop in, then do a yeah, reaction right, of the other. Right. So it's like you're not dependent on the kid being good all the time. You just need them to nail it once or nail something once and it works. And I think they use it really effectively without it being sort of too obvious. I yeah, I mean, I agree to an extent. It is, yeah, it, 
it's good to see something fresh. Yeah. Like, say, like, you watched, I don't know, uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Right. And you've got, like, Nicholas Banks in the late seasons. Like, yeah. he'll say a smart line. And, like, it doesn't work. It's, there's no, it's, it's, there's no I think, truth to it. I think it's quite flat as well. You just get the bit where it's a wide shot of the group. And the mm. kid says the pithy comment. And everyone sort of looks a bit like, oh, I can't believe. And it, you know, all the audience are cracking up. And you're like, I recognise the shape of this. This yeah, is what sitcom yeah, exactly, yeah. Whereas over this, it lets them go um, a lot odder than it would normally, I think. Because, yeah, definitely. But because definitely rather does. than, the, you know, they've clearly set up in a way that lets the kids thrive. And I think it really plays particularly well. You know, for me, my initial reaction was I enjoyed the kids in inverse order of their age. So the older kid, I was like, I'm getting nothing. He does nothing. No, he does nothing. Right. The middle kid's okay, but the little girl, at the start, is, I think she's phenomenal. She's so much fun. She's so enjoyable. Because it's so... They clearly just let her... And it's an Andy Hamilton thing, as I say, I think from the Donkey as well, where it's sort of... There's there's a, a sort of endearing weirdness to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do get that. Or weirder than I expected <clears throat> this comedy to well, be. And also different to everything else that's on. Yeah, like, definitely. Like, like, definitely. That, that's important. But I've got to say, like, I really, really dislike it. Like, I don't want to watch a load of kids just rambling on. It feels sort of, um, as much as it is a deliberate choice, it feels like, um, like it's not, it kind of, it's out of control from the start. Like, it just goes on and on and on. Like, I don't want to sit there eavesdropping on six-year-olds. Well, the thing was, I, I, I would agree with you on that point about the middle kid. There's bits where they let him I hate go. Him. Yeah, he... I, like, I, I, I think he's probably the character I dislike the most on television. <laughs> ever. Ever, ever. Ever. Wow. Easily. Ben, his name is. He looks like a young Alan Davis. Yeah, he really does. Like, he's the reason... This character is the reason why people hate kids. He is the reason why people don't like child actors. You know, it's all just like, who would win in a fight? Yeah. A shark or Jesus? You yeah, know, it yeah. just... And, and they, they go to that well so often with yeah. him. And, and as I say, I got very little out of him, but he was still better than the older kid who really does nothing. But for me, it was very effective with the younger kids, where it was it seems she's genuinely... Endear- she's endearing. She's endearing, yeah. but also it seemed genuinely off-kilter, rather than a slightly older kid trying to play off Yeah, they do. I think they try far too hard with the middle kid. And I think... Well, I think with the middle kid, they probably let him just sort of said, say something, and he sort of... There's a bit, like in the few episodes that I watch, there's a bit where he talks in one episode, and this would be like years apart, where he's like, he, he's saying to someone, who would win the fight between a vampire and a werewolf? And then there's a bit in a later episode where someone's pass, or passing out, they're unwell, and he's like trying to keep them awake, and he's like, think about a fight between a vampire and a werewolf, and I was like, and it just happened, so happened that I'd watch them like, you know, 45 minutes apart, as opposed to the probably four years gap in real mm. life but it was like such an odd thing I was like he's just like got nothing to go back to but I think they probably gave him more leeway in sort of letting him improvise whereas I think with the youngest kid they fed her the lines yeah, right, and said right. say this thing and all they need to do is her to nail that take once and they've got a great weird line that a little girl's saying that's really mm. odd so for me that was that, that was the bit that sort of kept me going I say there's nothing exceptional about it you have like the subplots with the, or even they're probably the plots, the sort of arcs of the the seasons with the adults, where it's like, Dad might have to go into yeah, a it's home. Quite funny in it Al, when you just watch the first and the last episode. Yeah, like, yeah. All that racist incident. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, remember when you kissed that woman? Yeah. Okay. And it's the whole. It's clearly been the whole thing for the whole season. You're like, all right, but they're very. They're just like you said at the start. Very standard sitcom tropes, tropes isn't it? That whole thing of. Uh, 
you know, putting your phone to him, like, what are we going to do about this elderly relative? You know, yeah, it's yeah, right. so sort of hackneyed. But as I say, for me, the bits where Karen would come into it and say something weird, uh, it amused me enough to sort of give me enough momentum to get through an episode. For me, it was a bit like, you know, I've got a kid, she's two and a half, Xavier, and, you know, she says things that make me crack up, right? But I don't put them in a sitcom. You know, at best, like, the, really, they make the, they amuse parents, and, like, at best, they're an anecdote for friends, you know. I say, the other day, I was, uh, she's, she's learnt five minutes recently, yeah, so I'm like, Xavier, time for the bar, it's like five minutes. So, like, and then eventually, I say, I was like, Xavier, bath, five minutes. So I get her in the bath, yeah, and, like, she won't get in the bath, now she won't get out of the bath. Right, right. So, like, I'm like, Xavier, time to get out now, and she's like, five minutes. <laughs> so like five minutes passes I'm like Xavier time for the bath she's like five minutes so I said to her do you know what five minutes means she goes it means I'm not get out <laughs> right that, don't put it on primetime BBC One I love that I'll watch it <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think... you know what like I, I didn't think that being an admissions officer in a school would change me but there's this joke about uh if anyone asks, tell him you're registered at your dad, at your granddad's address. You know when he's going to secondary right, school, right, right, right. Like, slap him off. Yeah, yeah. The flip side to what I was saying about enjoying the kids in inverse order and the problem with uh, the oldest child not being interesting is that for me, as the series goes along, the kids get less and less effective yeah. because they all fall into that trap. Mm. Suddenly. Uh, Ben's too old to be saying the things that he was saying before for comic effects really he still does but he's <laughs> far less effective and for me it's really sad watching the last couple of episodes not really sad it's not genuinely sad <laughs> but um, just seeing Karen you know as I say I only watched particular episodes rather than the whole season but she feels so marginalised towards the end there's like an mm. episode where she's just in a room for most of it and like you know she's approaching her teenage years so they sort of use that but it's also clearly where the producers can't go up to her. in the, it, it, That trick doesn't work anymore. No. Suddenly relying on the performance. And they're kind of trapped, aren't they? It's a similar thing with uh, Mad Men, where they nailed the casting of... Uh, what's her name? Kieran... Who plays Don and... Uh, Don, Don, Sally. Yeah, Sally. Yeah, Sally Draper, right. Yeah, where when they cast her, they couldn't have known that she'd have been this effective going all the yeah. way through. They just got very, very lucky. Um, and it didn't really pan out here. Like by the no. by, the, we, we, you know, <laughs> we just Sally Draper. We just yeah. That's, that's my controversial view. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd watched the final episode before. We, we just watched the last ten minutes uh, here, and it just really comes home. Like she's saying things, and there's it's almost lifeless, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She's it is, just yeah. clearly reading out things that she's memorised, as opposed mm. to there being any sort of charm or yeah, performative right. element to it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, on the plus side, the older boy grows up quite handsome, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Those, I'm not sure about those sideburns, but... Uh... He's not either, which is why they're... <laughs> <laughs> it's quite alarming in that final episode, Steve, to see the middle kid with armpit hair, isn't it? He's just... It was very much like the feeling I had at the end of Boyhood. <laughs> well, he's a beast. He's bigger than all of them. Yeah. Except maybe the dad. And even then, they only get away with that because they cast a particularly tall man as the father. So they uh, refer to it as being set in Chiswick. I don't know if that is mentioned on the show or if that's just on Wikipedia. Apparently, there's a letter at some point that someone oh, looks right, at right. and on the address it says so-and-so yeah. drive Chiswick. But it's filmed in Wandsworth. Um, I mean, in a, it's in a studio, I imagine, but... The external shots of the yeah, house. Yeah, the external shots yeah. of the house, which are many. And, um, but the thing is, it's a nondescript terrace 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but notably, they're living in like Wandsworth is like a conservative stronghold, isn't it? It's like middle. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, a, no. It looks... well, he said he, at one point, he says he hates Tony Blair. Right, that right, right. a bit uncalled for. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Just it's a UKIP show. Yeah. <laughs> this will be coming out after the election, Steve. This episode. So oh right. So we can say what we like. We don't have to be impartial. <laughs> <laughs> like the BBC. Um, but also, if it goes dreadfully wrong when this episode comes out, we could be under arrest for like crimes ma- against the state. But imagine if this episode comes out and we're still living in Cameron's Britain. My biggest It'll fear be the is last episode. I'm, I'm flying to Ireland on the day of the election, so I'm going to vote in the morning and try and get rid of Cameron. But my concern is that while I'm in Ireland, some ultra right wing coalition comes together and I'm not allowed back in. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. like, you've got citizenship, you can't, we have, we have closed the gates, I'm afraid. And you know how I feel about doing podcasts on Skype. And, and the thing Fancy. is, the thing is uh, with Labour's new uh, monolith of policy, <sighs> if they control immigration that tightly, will, they, will <laughs> Labour let me back in? I don't know. Oh. Ask, ask Ed. Grim, isn't it? Grim. The other thing about the, the setting being in Wandsworth, like, I didn't really see any episode, uh, any scenes shot around there that I'd recognise Landmark. I don't know Wandsworth. No, but it's mostly in the house, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a bit as well where um, Karen gets hit by a car and they go to hospital, and it is St Thomas's. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, not interestingly, um, <laughs> there's one, I don't know if it's one of the episodes I watched by mistake. Because there was one where I accidentally didn't watch the finale. I watched like the penultimate episode. But they go to London for the day, and they're on like a sightseeing bus. Oh right! And they end up like on this on the South Bank, like the Albert Albert Embankment. Right. So that's weird because like people who live in London don't do that. No, or do they? I mean, I, no. I, I, I mean, even if you live in Chiswick, you don't do that. Do no, but yeah. they, had, they had some nan with them or something. But also, if you live in London, I don't know. Maybe you live in South London. You know. That the number twelve bus is as effective as a sightseeing bus as any bus. Yeah, if you the, want the... to see Campbell Green and Peckham, <laughs> that's the bus for you. No, but uh, you know, seriously, if we have people uh, listening in who aren't visiting London and well, want to come along, if you want to see London, number twelve bus, you see has a Parliament, Whitehall, Trafalgar Square, uh, Oxford Circus, takes yeah, you right yeah. into the heart of town. Yeah, don't get on a tourist bus, man. No, basic, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, if you want to. Visit the outnumbered filming location. Get to Dempster Road in Wandsworth. Probably got a blue plaque, I imagine. So Hugh Dennis, also known to me uh, from uh, panel shows. Now you see, this is where the generation gap kicks in. Oh, do you know from that Not Like I'm a Cop News or something? <laughs> <laughs> CW3. I, I remember from Round the Horn. <laughs> <laughs> season one. They, they weren't even called seasons then. Um, I... Uh, was born in 1975, which meant that in the 90s, on uh, I, I was primed to watch a lot of British television comedy, and he happened to be at the heart of a lot of things that I enjoyed. Oh yeah, like what? He was part of a collective called the Merry White House Experience. I don't know if you're aware of. Yeah, their work. mostly from yeah. you recommending it. <laughs> mostly from me banging on <laughs> about it, actually. And it was a really interesting thing to sort of watch unfold. So it's four of them. Um, Hugh Dennis, Steve Punt, uh, David Baddiel, and Rob Newman, um, and they, uh, you know, first time I saw them, it was this this four piece group that did you know sketches, uh, good stuff, hit and miss, you know, not great, but it was always a thing where Punt and Dennis tended to do things together, and Baddiel and Newman tended to do things together, and I think there was a sort of divide where people were like one or the other, and I was always more uh, Newman and Baddiel, and then 
they sort of split off separately. I don't know if they were eruptions, but Punt and Dennis went off to sort of do their own sketch show. I've not Newman heard of Punt fellow. Is he? Well, you'd recognise you'd, you'd recognise him. He does uh, radio stuff now purely. I think. Uh, I think he turns up on panel shows occasionally. But um, yeah, they did uh, things. And again, I think a lot of radio stuff. Whereas Newman and Badil carried on and did uh, their own sketch show, which was very good. And then obviously split off again, where David Badil went off to do Fancy Football League with Frank Skinner. Yeah. Rob Newman went back to stand-up and... Didn't he make documentaries about oil or something? Yeah, well, he did, no, he did this, like, stand-up show, which is like an hour-long show, where he would talk about uh, global capitalism in a very funny and engaging way. But the uh, theatres would be powered by people on bicycles, was part of the... Right. I say shtick, and that sounds... <laughs> it's a bit unfair, in it, because the guy's making a genuine effort to try and uh, bring change to the world. But, um, yeah, so it's very interesting to sort of go... All right, it's 2015, and I'm still watching this guy that I used to watch in yeah, like right. 1992, and was probably my least favourite out of America. But I think he's, you know, uh, and uh, Claire no Skinner longer, as well. He's no longer your least favourite. <laughs> he's moved ahead of uh, Steve Punk. Um, but I think David Baddiel is probably the most famous person to block me on Twitter. So. <laughs> he, um, yeah, I think him and Claire Skinner are both very effective. I wouldn't say good. Oh, the parents. Right, so when you said Claire Skinner, I was, was going to correct you as Frank. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, I don't think she's great. She's uh, not given a lot to do. She's, she's given think... a very standard role. And he's, he's not given a lot to do. But they're no. perfectly functional. It's so tame, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. It's perfectly functional in terms of, you know, the exasperated parents, but also happy to put an arm around the kids and encourage them and whatnot. You know, it's... Some shocking parenting going on, isn't there? <laughs> Just like verbal, taking verbal abuse off the kids, man. You wouldn't have it. Dad, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. <laughs> I hate you. That kind of thing. I'm not expecting that to come my way. Impossible. Say impossible. <laughs> the, the show co- comes to a quite natural conclusion. Almost quite a pat conclusion. Where in the last episode, the kids all solve problems. The whole series has been about the parents sort of having to sort out the kids. But then in the last episode, the kids all sort of like step up and do something. Right. And it ends with this thing of like the parents sort of look at each other, going, "Oh, maybe we can just leave everything to the kids." Mm-hmm. And it's just it, it, it's almost too neat and 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 tidy as a as a thing. But and as I said, last episode is, I think I'd have to use the word shocking in terms of like the number of cliches that turn up. Like um, her sister turns up, they don't get on. Yeah, and her sister's like she's she's middle aged, but she's like hanging out with a young guy, and she's travelling well, not having responsibilities, and you're like. Tick, tick, I wonder if tick. this appalling sister is just the first and last episodes of each season because it just seems like we were getting the brunt of that moment. <laughs> There's also, um, you know, the, the final episode ends with a school play, and I know part of the point of it was that it's not a good school play, and that's made clear, but the amount of footage that they've shot mm. and kept in the edit. It's got to be like five solid minutes of bad yeah, school play. And you're like, yeah. yeah, we get it. This is not a great nah. school play. But and the, the sort of narrative arc is, but he's got up and done it. And he's like, you know, stepped up and begun. You know, yeah, we got that with that. We don't need a song and dance routine. And like these sustained shots yeah. of... Or maybe it's like this appalling kid has carried the show for five seasons. He's clearly the highlight. He's what the audience love, this middle terrible child. <laughs> let, him, let him showcase his comedy skills for a few minutes. I do wonder... Like, if they'll ever work again. I can't imagine. No, I don't. 
I don't think um, we'll be seeing them in anything notable. They're not, none of them are good. I think it'd be quite interesting. I'd like to think in like 15 years' time, like there's a HBO drama and you're like, she looks familiar. It's <laughs> 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 Karen. I'd like to think, I'd like to think. It could happen. You really have changed, Carl. You never used to put yourself first. What's happened to you? Nothing's happened to me. I've just realised I'm not staying here for the rest of my life, going round in circles, okay? Right, what are you going to do, emigrate? Yes. Yes what? Yes, I'm going to emigrate. I've, I've checked it all out. I've, I've been looking at places in Tuscany. You're going to France? Pulling was originally broadcast on BBC Three in 2006 to 2009. There were two seasons and an hour-long special that was sort of, I don't know, charitably given to them to wrap things up by the look of it. But the first season was repeated on BBC Two, second season didn't get that honour. Nominated for a BAFTA in 2007 for Best Sitcom, uh, lost out to the Royal Family, um, the one of their comeback specials, so it kind of shows you the calibre of uh, <laughs> stuff that year. Well, the Saxadale, which is one of my favourite sitcoms of all time, was that year and just didn't even get nominated. So the Royal Family was a phenomenal at that point. I mean, I, no, I, no, no, I, not that point. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is the, the Royal Family was tremendous, and in two thousand and seven, when it came back, oh, yeah. but, but but the thing was, I know what you mean. It's not the best stuff, obviously, but it's become a phenomenon by that point. So yeah, it's right, almost yeah. like it's almost like a, de- a default thing of if it's in, it's going to win because it's got so much affection. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, but no, me, I mean, I don't know what you mean. Like... Pulling should have got a prize. <laughs> I demand a recount. So Pulling is written by Sharon Horgan, who also stars, and Dennis Kelly, who wrote Utopia. Didn't watch it. No, me neither. Set well, in a comic one. shop or something, isn't it? Partly, People... yeah. I watched one, uh, one of the first season. I had kind of mixed feelings about it. I'm not a big fan of ultraviolence. Um, oh, is it that? Uh, well, I think so. I would. I mean, very violent. Well, people. Were, insisting... second, people said the second season was so bad that you kind of it pushed you off watching any of it. People insisted that I should watch it because it like is a bit in a comic shop. I was like, that's how these yeah, things work. You're so well, yeah. So well, but Steve, maybe you should watch Pulling instead. That's set in Pinch. <laughs> <laughs> um, you didn't like Outnumbered. No, but you have to admit the chasm. Between these two shows, no, I don't. Agree. Do you not think so? I think uh, I think it's a similar level. I really? mean, I say neither are good, but I definitely laughed more in Pulling. Did you? Yeah. What bits? Um, there's a bit where so it starts with uh, uh, where it starts with a guy wiping the Dracula up with a leaf, but it's <laughs> about this couple breaking up. And at first, I thought, oh, this is interesting. I like the idea of couples that kind of don't like each other and are willing to face that. Um, it's something you don't really see enough, I don't think. So I thought well, that would be interesting, and it was quite a good breakup scene. I thought. I thought it was quite funny when the guy was just like weeping and saying like, "I'll do a threesome if you want. I'll do it with another guy if you want." And then he tries to hang himself, the guy, and I thought that was quite funny. Right. So do you know what I mean? It's up and down. I mean, it's not good. Like if I'd have watched this, if this were not set in Penge and we weren't watching it for the show, <laughs> first episode, watch it on telly. I wouldn't have watched another episode. No, no, no. Game. So I'm certainly not recommending it to anyone. See, I, I uh... don't use the sound from the hardcore link. To, to buy <laughs> I well the first scene sort of like put me off immediately where I was like oh, is this what this is going to be and it is essentially but the scene you're talking about with the breakup scene um, lost me completely as any sort of viewer just because there's a bit and you know 
when I say spoilers, if you're <laughs> watching this show at any point, you're spoiling your life. Yeah. I'm doing you a favour by warning you. There's a bit in the the thing where she like reveals that she doesn't want to marry him anymore, and as you say, he's very upset about it. And there's been like a family lunch organised for yeah. both sides of the family to get together uh, and uh, get to know one another before the wedding. So as he's crying, uh, he says to her, uh, "She's like, well, I better go and cancel the lunch." He's like, "No, no, please, let's still do the lunch." <laughs> and of course. Because they'll be hilarious. But exactly. The only <laughs> the, the only lunch. reason response to that is no. Of course not. Yeah. I'm leaving you. We're not going to do lunch. So she goes, okay, we'll do the lunch. It's a good opportunity for us to tell people we're not getting married. And he's like, no, no, please don't tell anyone we're not getting married. And uh, as you say, he's there's, there's almost he's like a, a whispering commentary track kind of thing going because then we can they can find out then and it will be funny. And it's this, uh, this whole thing of like, well, this is just and I know. You shouldn't necessarily be looking for plausibility in a sitcom, but it needs to have an in, internal logic. It and does, it just like, yes. it, I was just going, no one would ever do this. This is like just pointless. You're just setting it up because you need them to be in this place mm. so that something funny can happen. Of course, the problem then is nothing funny happens even <laughs> then. So you've engineered it yeah, in a very clumsy yeah, way. That nothing funny happens there. No, no previous there's a, and there's a bit but... uh, in that scene, like where the, obviously there's a messy reveal and whatnot, and she goes outside because she's upset. And then this guy comes over and puts his arm on her shoulder. Uh, and she's like, thinks it's the fiance. Don't laugh. Don't. Unless you're laughing at my indignation yeah. at being forced to endure this. And then he gropes her breast and she realises it's not him, it's someone else. And like, yeah, she's perturbed. <laughs> but you're like, what is, what is this? Yeah. Where that's a thing that... And she wrote the show. Yeah. Just like... Uh, and it, I read interviews where she's like, I needed to write a show. You know, I'm writing the part for me. Because these parts me all out there. I'm like, and this is the part you gave yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, it's a horror show from start to finish. You know, her point is, oh, I need to write a show about women and for women and giving women a central role. And you're like, but they just act like terrible men. Yeah. yeah What's yeah. the point of this show? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'm not, like, I don't want people to think I like it. Because if you don't like it. you that, said. <laughs> yeah, I saw this article was <laughs> yeah. like, the BBC have, you know, made it. Absolute mess in cancelling pulling. Yeah. And like all the comments, like this guy was just going off on the BBC, stupid, 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 he said at one point. Right, right. There were like eight comments and they were all just like, yeah, pulling's brilliant. It's Why hilarious. It if you look at any sort of all the Wikipedia pages, any sort of interview, anything that addresses it being cancelled, there's like, it feels like it's like cut and pasted, but like, despite sparkling reviews, oh, great sure. uh, great viewing figures, uh, and a strong uh, strong online support. Uh, the BBC made the decision, and they keep sort of saying this all the way through about how everyone was loving it, everyone was watching it. I was like, I don't, they, they can't be. No, because, no, no. You know, Well, if they were, then they, they, they've got bad taste, haven't they? It's, well, the, it's junk. The BBC made a statement going, well, we have to like cancel, because it's like BBC Three, they're like, we can't do, if we do 10 seasons of one show, it means that we're losing out on like nine other possible shows. And I read a comment and the guy was like, no, I want 10 scenes of good stuff, not like 10 random shows. And I was like, if you think this is the good stuff, yeah. I don't want your opinion on anything else. They seem to think there's a lot of mileage in intoxication humour and that there's very little. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. drink, so maybe I've got it a bit wrong here, but I just... You know, there's you know Paul K, right? Who I think yeah. is funny. Yeah. Where he turns up and he can't even stand up. He's so drunk. Yeah. It's yeah. quite amusing for like 
Sort of about four or five seconds. Yeah, but it's then, a Chaplin-esque uh, drunk act. Yeah, for, right, right. For four or five seconds. Uh, but then it just, it's not ten minutes an episode of, of, well, maybe that's an exaggeration, but certainly six or seven minutes an episode of the jokes about the fact that people are drunk and they're behaving in a certain way. Yeah. You know, there's... But, of course, uh, one of the things about intoxication is it means that sexually you're more likely to do ridiculous things and they need to get to that as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because that's kind of what this show's about from the first scene onwards and it's just like I just found it a miserable experience like it's such a a terrible portrayal of humanity as a whole the fact that it was made the fact that someone wrote this for themselves that's the thing that I can't get over they were like this is you give them free reign someone says to you what what do you want to showcase about yourself what do you want to present about yourself and you're like this this is what I'm good at these terrible jokes just like there's so many elements to it that just made me very sad this is odd, and again, didn't watch all the episodes, but even in a few episodes I watch, there's this very odd attitude to art that keeps coming through, where they're very suspicious of it. It's seen as this like mysterious, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. There's an indicator of, of your, your self-worth. So there's that scene where she's going out with the guys involved in the art world, and it's like every cliche in the world about modern art when she goes to the gallery and like she's bemused by the pieces. And like, but there's this whole undercurrent where she's like talking to her friends going, you know, he's into art. He's into, as I say, it's out of fear. And, and they revisit that later on where she's, like, she's um, met up with an old school friend and she's like talking to her about, her. she's like, oh yeah, me and my friends are into art. And it's this odd thing where they see it as this like toxic commodity where if you can handle it right, it gives you magical powers. But if you handle it wrong, mm-hmm. it can destroy you. And you're like, I, I think it's quite telling that a show this bad has that attitude to the idea of art generally. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this, is, this is a dangerous, terrible thing. So we must avoid it by just doing jokes about being drunk and having sex. It's just like a very odd sort of thing to, to keep coming through in the show. But I say, very telling. I mean, I think they... Maybe, think, maybe they think it's uh, easy. It write, is. But it, to write uncultured characters. Yeah. And it's, it's an easy, it's an it's, easy it's, joke. It, it might it? be easy, but it, it's not successful. No, it? exactly. Yeah, it's not funny. It's very easy to sort of, uh, you know, as I say, uh, I'm j- I, if I never see another episode of any show ever where people are walking through uh, a, a gallery with modern art and just looking bemused and you're supposed to crack up at the very idea of being... Not, not, nothing, no tension no. with the actual piece, just the very idea of art. <laughs> That's the problem, yeah. isn't it? There's a scene in, in that art number that I watched by mistake where they go to London. They go to this art gallery. Right, I didn't see this, but it sounds... They like put, uh, there's like a, a globe in a fridge at right. one point. It's right. just so bad. They don't, yeah. It doesn't look... It doesn't look like a no. like an art gallery. Yeah, like the pieces don't look like like pieces. It's just like, isn't this hilarious? Yeah. The idea of enjoying art. Like, well, there's a bit where she's in the gallery, and uh, she just says to the guy, uh, "How much is that?" Yeah, and he's like, "Are you going to buy it?" And she's like, "Yeah." Yeah. And you're like, no, but he, he, someone could still be curious about that. That's, uh, you know, uh, the modern commodification, but it, that makes it a legitimate question. She's like, do you get the pin for that? And you're like, what's this? Mm. What's this dead end that you've written yourself into? She, and like, as I say, she's writing this. She's looking at the page going, yep, I'll have to stand in front of a camera and say this, and it will be uh, broadcast to, you know, millions of people. Great, great, great viewing figures. Great viewing figures. What I did enjoy, though, Steve, was... Uh, Ashley from Phone Shop. I'm not sure the actor's name. Oh, I didn't see him. He turns up as Oleg, the Lithuanian cook. Right, right. And he's just doing like a Lithuanian accent. And he, I just, I mean, in Phone Shop, I think it might be the same producer, is it? Phil Balka. 
Um, so there's a lot of like Newman plays two different characters in. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's basically like in that cafe that he's in season two as um, an estate agent. Yeah, but actually from from phone shop is funny. There's a right. couple, and Alex McQueen turns up in both shows. You know, he plays Julius Nicholson. Alexander in, McQueen. Yeah, he plays Julian Julius Nicholson in the thick of it. Oh the, yeah, yeah. The bald one, very very posh. Yeah, and he's funny in both just because he's a funny guy. I tell you what, I found odd. Just as an aside. The viewing figures? I don't know, they high. Apparently. They, I mean, if, well, you, if you go online, they're insisting Just BBC3 as a whole. Yeah, is, yeah. Uh, well, that that's a very telling thing, I think, uh, as well, about these the, these shows. You know, Outnumbered is very much a BBC1 show. Mm. Pulling is what I think of as the quintessential BBC3 show. It's it's the same sort of... Yeah, it's just like... Yeah, just tawdry, miserable nonsense with no actual uh, humour to it whatsoever. I mean, you know... You, you could compare it to like a Carry On film, but they had like puns and wordplay, so yeah, they're immediately better and better actors. So it's not, you know. Yes, yeah, some of the acting is a problem, isn't it? It's a yeah. lot of bad performances. But things, it's like, things, things are badly written, it's yeah, exactly. To, but I felt the same about I mean, the characters. Were, you're when the characters come in, and it's just so broad and bad. Yeah, yeah. And like, I didn't say, I don't know if I said this on the Peep Show episode, but like, uh, like the first three seasons of Peep Show, I love. In those like seconds, four or five seasons, whatever it is now, there's just a lot of like minor characters come in and are not, and the actors are not good. Right, right. You know, it's just these bad performances, and you, you can't always put your pin, you can't always pin down whether it's the character or the actor. But you know, these minor roles, man. If yeah, you know, the, you want to be, you want to be thinking, ah, did this guy never work again? Right, right. Rather right. than yeah, yeah. Oh, this is awful. You're turning away. And when you compare it to something like The Office, where you get. Mm. Carries his own for like a scene or two, and you still talk about him. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, they, they live, and and you do see him do other things, telling me. Mm. Yeah, right, you're right, exactly. Your office is a perfect example. Yeah. There's not a bad performance there. No. Just people turn up for one time. But it is, it's the direct opposite of the spectrum, where it's a programme about characters and people mm. and humans, but it's not miserable. There's a, uh, an element of miserableism to it, which is integral to great comedies. But I think the problem with bad comedies is they go, people have to be miserable. They have to be trapped. That's the, mm. the conceit. And the thing is, what people always forget is there has to be an element where... Because trapped means you're stuck in a situation you cannot easily extricate yourself from. Whereas with pulling, it's just... No, they could have They're just friends who hang out and they're just yeah. terrible people who choose to hang out. There's nothing compelling them to hang out and do these things other than the fact that the, the show demands it because I mean like as you say about the supporting characters are terrible but the central characters I mean you've got someone who's drunk and promiscuous yeah. someone who's naive and, and optimistic and someone who's cynical and bored they're your three central characters mm. and you're like I don't want to watch any of these people do anything I don't know, I don't want to see them talk to each other there's nothing there's no tension there's no uh, nothing interesting happening between them I mean the whole thing about uh, the sort of uh, drunk and promiscuous woman, here, brace yourself, here's a joke, she's a primary school teacher. Because, of course, as well as people being terrible humans, what's the most funny thing that you can put into any sitcom that's automatically going to make it good? Kids. <laughs> no, I, I hate my job, or I'm terrible at my job, or I'm unsuited as my job. It's just like, oh, uh, she's drunk and promiscuous, wait till you find out what she does, guys, and you're like, she's a primary. So the other side I was about to mention, but didn't Steve a minute ago, is that she celebrates Sharon Holgood, the main character, celebrates her thirtieth birthday in the first season. Right. 
And she was, in fact, 36. <laughs> and, like, it's quite obviously 36. I found that very odd. She's writing the role she wants to play, you said, Stephen. Yeah. That's your explanation. Rocking, rocking Forever 21, but just turned 36. <laughs> <laughs> Another sitcom trope, and we talked about it in Outnumbered, is the sort of... Uh, member of the family, the black sheep of the family returning and, and mm. causing problems. And one of the characters' mums turns up and she's like being an absentee mum and they've not really had a relationship and the daughter doesn't want anything to do when she turns up and she turns up and she's an absolute nightmare. Like she's just horrible and pointless and they go out and she's just an embarrassment and a liability and just terrible. And then there's a moment where the mum sort of says, you know, I've always been proud of you. And she turns everything around. And she's like, I've always loved you, Mum. And you're like, what's this? This undoes, you know, 26 years of neglect. And yeah. Um, so then, it's just this remarkable, and I'm never going to use that word about this show in any other context, this remarkable sequence where one of the other women who's living in the flat was like, well, your mum has to go because she's a nightmare. And she's like, no, Mum stays. And she's like, well, I'd rather your Mum went because she's just like causing those problems. And she's like, no, if Mum goes, I go. And then the mum just leaves anyway because her boyfriend's like, oh, something. But it's this whole thing of like, I can't stand my mum. I love you, mum. Your mum has to go. If mum goes, I go. Mum's gone. And you're like, what's this? Mm. There's, no, there's no logic. There's no cohesion. There's nothing pl- that seems planned about it. It's just like, well, it'd be good because then they can say this. So if you do... So it's just this whole sequence of things that would never happen just so people can say cliches. Yeah, it's a mess, isn't it? It's a mess. Um, Setting penge, as I said, Steve. First episode... I'm moving, I'm moving. <laughs> first episode, they're... Uh, they never say Penge, I don't think. The first episode, they're, when they go to that restaurant, I kind of Googled to work out where it was. It turns out that's Finchley. So oh, I was, is it? Yes, yeah, so I was a little bit concerned. I thought that might have been, like, Pearly Way. It it's looked not, a bit. That's Finchley. Finchley. Um, I did spot a South London location. Well, in episode two, you can see the Crystal Palace area in the background. Right, right, right. And I think they're outside the Penge Arms houses at one point. I'm okay. almost certain. You know that phone box we recorded in when we did the Penge episode? Yeah, yeah. They're, like, outside there. So that kind of kind of does set it up as Penge. But then again, in a late episode, like they're out in this kebab shop, and I kind of worked out where it was. It's in Stoke Newton. So it's not exactly like... I mean... It's like Lodge Lane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a bit where they're in a cafe. Yeah. And through the window, you can see V7 local stores. I was oh, like, that's right. in Dulwich. Oh, and then yeah. I sort of worked out from that that they must be in the Tulip Cafe on Lordship Lane to look out on the seven local stores. Well, there you go. So maybe it is a bit more rooted in... No, it's not really, is it? <laughs> but the thing is, it's something where the very idea that it's getting pending noise me, I want it to be... Set it in Finchley. You can have it. North London, this is all yours. The non-South London link is that they're both BBC shows. So they're essentially both taxpayer-funded... And paid for these, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not comfortable with that. No, that's I a mean, waste of money. Yeah, but how do you feel about the BBC? In, in general terms, I'm in favour of it. Yeah, even though it's a kind of non-income related tax. Yeah, they're ready, didn't you? When I said that, <laughs> <laughs> even though, uh... but no, but really though, because it's a lot of money for someone like me uh, or you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think uh, I like the fact that there are things, and I know it's not a thing to talk about in terms of commercial television, non-commercial television, because it has the BBC has a massive uh, commercial arm. Mm. But the fact that it is uh, quasi-independent, the fact that it annoys a lot of, of politicians, I do think it has a role. 
Yeah, right. There's not, you know, there's clearly but something. I shouldn't have to pay 145 quid. Would you agree with that, Steve? Are you happy for me to pay 145 pound a year for it? I'd like you to pay 156 <laughs> just because I think that's a fair price. No, it's it's one of those things where I, I'm I'm happy to not happy to pay the license. I'm prepared to pay the license fee. Obliged, yes, <laughs> legally obliged to pay the license fee. But then the problem is, it's very hard to sort of. Um, it's just these things when you see something like pulling. You're like, I don't want this to exist. Well, the stri- extreme example is someone like Jonathan Ross's salary in the past. Right, of course. Someone's literally yeah. getting paid millions but of pounds. Then the flip side of it is, you know, you, you, can, you can make an argument for the whole raft of... Uh, Comedies you know, that they've put out on the Well, <laughs> but things the like... Bit, things, else? things like Life on Earth. They, have, they do uh, some wonderful work in terms of... They do... And people always say that, but I could not care less about watching right, programmes for animals. Yeah. That's, and that's the one thing, apparently, that I should be watching. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, you know, I enjoyed uh, Wolf Hall... So Adam Curtis's documentary, Bit yeah. of Late, was tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, they did put out some great stuff. That's I just think it needs a new model. Yeah, I, I, I it agree. Should be, it should be able to function commercially, I think, without... It Absolutely. Really and, and the thing is, you know, there is a thing... Scale it down. There, there's, a, you know, a thing... Um, I think it was, yeah, trying to watch um, Outnumbered for this. I went to iPlayer. And like, it isn't available, but you can buy it from here. And yeah, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa bonkers, I paid it? for this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much, you know, the model I always think of is... Um, you know, if I'm going to a gallery or a museum in London, I'm not putting any money in those clear boxes because my taxes do go towards subsidising that. But if I'm going to MoMA in New York, yeah, I'll put some money in because I haven't paid towards that and I want it to exist. And I'm using the facility. So with the BBC, I'm paying for it. So mm. give me, and I know, yeah, like, I mean, I'm trying to find national access iPlayer, but like, definitely keep everything on iPlayer. Yeah, but, I mean, I was trying to find this documentary. I was googling Le Corbusier in India, right? Yeah, just yeah. Uh, for example, came up BBC radio documentary, literally called Le Corbusier in India. I was like, great, click on it. This is not available. Yeah, it's like Where's 28 it megabytes. Put yeah, it up. yeah, yeah. And you know, um, Bitter Lake is a great example where it went up, and they were like, "This is going off in 30 days." And you're like, "Why? Yeah, right. Who's taking it? Where's it going? You own this." You've made it. It's paid for. Keep it up forever. But of course, they want to take it down so they can sell a DVD with a few extra things. We're getting away from the point, Steve. But they were. It was rightly cancelled when it put in. Essentially, yeah. I mean, the fact that you know, again, the sort of the narrative of the show is that they said, "Oh, we waited a third season, but the BBC wouldn't let us." But they gave us an hour-long special to tie up the stories. Like people are going to be out there in the world going. Wonder what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I imagine a series uh, of cliches. Yeah, you know, it's just like you didn't. I don't need closure on this. I need, you know, I burn the sets. That's the closure I need. Sort the earth. Let's not dwell on it for too long. But the idea that this this story demands an ending. What Deadwood doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if there's things that got cancelled, that you know, they're talking about figures and, and popularity. You're you're not the the, the tragedy here. There's, we've lost mm. far greater things than. Pulling over the years. Influenza as an academic for <laughs> <laughs>